You're listening to Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders. If you go and, you know, talk to Fortune 500 executives and you ask them to explain to you in plain English, what is machine learning? Um, what's the purpose of AI? How AI can contribute and revolutionize their business? They will typically have a hard time um, to give you this answer. Welcome to the show, Nir. Thank you for having me, Wayne. Well, our topic today is data science for executives, uh, leveraging machine intelligence to drive business ROI. So, Nir, let's dig into this topic. What do you say are the biggest barriers for adoption of AI and data science in most organizations? Yeah, that's a really good question, Wayne. So when I think about AI and specifically AI adoption, there are three different principles or three different like you know verticals that I'm thinking about. The first one is all about the technology infrastructure and capabilities. The second one is all about the data. And the third one is the bucket that I typically aggregate, people, culture, and process. Um, and if you ask me about what is the biggest barrier for AI adoption, I will actually argue that, you know, while working with, you know, Fortune 500 companies and their international uh, equivalent, I will argue that, you know, people have the biggest issues when, when it comes to the people, culture, and the process. So, you know, this is a top-down initiative. Data science and data engineering is a top-down initiative. And one of the biggest gaps that we see is all around executives' knowledge when it comes to AI, data science, data engineering. Um, if you go and, you know, talk to Fortune 500 executives and you ask them to explain to you in plain English what is machine learning, um, what's the purpose of AI, how AI can contribute and revolutionize their business, they will typically have a hard time um, to give you this answer. So, again, because if it's a top-down initiative, it must, you know, when, you, when we talk about the necessary changes needs to be made to the cultural aspect, to processes, to change management, and to the people and talent, this aspect has to come from the top. And I truly believe that one of the biggest gaps we have right now is all about executive um, knowledge. Um, this is one thing. The second thing is the you know, some notable gaps that we see in the industry is about how to bridge the gap between technical and non-technical teams to work seamlessly together. Um, if you think about it, our organizations are full of, you know, people that the business side basically think think about it as the marketers, think about them as the, you know, accounting people or, or, the, or the operation people. And then we have on the other side, we have all the engineers and the data scientists, um, all the hardcore like technical teams and these two different personas uh, don't necessarily know how to communicate and work seamlessly uh, with one another and i think we the business leaders um, the one that are leading the strategy and the growth of our organization need to figure out how to bridge those gaps between the, between the two so when we come when 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 time comes to operationalizing um projects in artificial intelligence, data science, and data engineering, the business can react seamlessly and the two personas can actually work together in order to make this model work better and realize the ROI for the organization. So I would argue that um, gaps between technical and non-technical teams um, is one of you know the major gaps we see when it comes to AI adoption. The third one is, you know, we have a big skills gap in the industry uh, and everyone talking about the skills gap, which is, I think, it's very important. But I think that beyond the skills gap, we need to make sure that these skills of, you know, leveraging data and modeling techniques to 
enhance our business or improve our life in general should be accessible for everyone and not just people that have the STEM degree or not just people that come from, you know, elite universities around the world. Currently, what we see is like, you know, there's a lot of people um, in data science and data engineering that has uh, a PhD or come from a hardcore STEM degree. If we really want to make this fourth industrial revolution work for everyone in the future, even in the near future, we need to make sure that they, we democratize the skills to everyone in the organization so everyone can actually benefit um, um, from leveraging the data and creating modeling techniques and understanding what, what are the sophisticated, interesting predictions that are coming from these modeling techniques to enhance their decision-making process. So the skills gap is important. Um, it, there's a big conversation about it right now in the industry, but I truly believe that beyond the skills gap, beyond this conversation, we need to start thinking about how we actually make these skills relevant for everyone. So in the next five years, in the next 10 years, everyone in the workforce can actually participate um, in this fourth industrial revolution. Yeah, those are three good barriers. So let's unpack each of those. What do you think executives need to know about data science to address that barrier? So when we talk about executive um, knowledge, you know, when I typically deliver these data science for executive workshop to Fortune 100 and 200 companies all around the world, part of the workshop is to talk about the data science workflow. And no I want to guide them through the workflow, not because I want them to become or train them to become a data scientist. I want them to understand their participation required in each, um, in each phase of the workshop. So when, you know, when I talk about the macro level work, uh, workflow, we can talk about the ask phase, where basically uh, it's dominated by executives uh, asking great questions that can be answered with data. And then we go to the acquire phase where, you know, um, we need to figure out how to acquire the data, prepare the data for the analysis, and then move to the analyze phase where we basically applying these modeling techniques to create predictive power, sort of. And then the last phase is really all about act, how you interpret the outcome and operationalize and this kind of like project and modeling technique across the enterprise. And I believe that, you know, um, this workflow requires a few different personas um, to operationalize and su successfully create data science, data engineering, or AI type of projects. Um, it starts very early on, again, with ask phase, with executive participation, and then goes to the technical people. And then the act phase is really all about the business side, all about executive trying to figure out how to create strategies to implement uh, this technology and embed it within their business. So... I think that I believe that executives should know how a data science workflow works, how a project um, should start from, what is the starting point and what is the end point, so they can actually think about what is the changes from a people, culture, and process, and mostly the change management uh, is required to make a day one um, to operationalize this project. What I typically see is, you know, again, talking about very, very large enterprises, 60% uh, of data science AI type of projects are not being implemented. And the question, there are two questions. First of all, when they stop being implemented and why? So what I see is companies spending a lot of money um, going through the ask, the acquired and the analyze phase. And when, and after testing the models and the models actually proven to be very successful and add, um, a substantial ROI to the business, I see that 
60% of them are not being actually implemented. And, you know, the way I think about it is there is gold on the table. How come executives and business leaders leave gold on the table after, you know, it's been proven to be gold and not implemented? And the truth is that, you know, and again, it ties back to the, to the barriers for AI adoptions. Executives and business leaders don't think about the necessary steps and the change in, in, in the processes and the culture and the change management required for implementation at day one uh, when they actually embark to the project or embark on a project. And I think this is kind of like some sort of education that we need to provide to business leaders on how to think about how to operationalize this project uh, at the very beginning um, of the journey. In general, you know, I truly believe that executives and business leaders need to know how to judge the output and evaluate the predictions and the outcome from these models. You know, sometimes people tell me like, no, C-level executives do not need to know how, you know, what is confusion metrics uh, or some sort of other evaluation techniques. I truly believe that, that, you know, in the fourth industrial revolution, executives that lead, you know, a major conglomerate should know how to evaluate an output that is brought to his table. Uh, from this very sophisticated technology and modeling. And how come, how, otherwise, how can he actually uh, make sure or validate um, that the project is going to the right, in the right direction or even uh, meet his business goals and objectives? Um, so, you know, executives should know about how to evaluate these models and specifically uh, create have th critical thinking about whether if the model is going in the right direction um, and rather than that, it's really all about the change management that required for implementation. Um, I, again, 60% of these projects are not being implemented. And I truly think it's because people don't think about what the necessary steps needs to happen later on in the project phase life and what they can do at day one to make sure that um, when the project is actually tested and proven ROI, how they can um, implemented. I want to give you an example just for you, kind of like so everyone will understand what I'm talking about. So um, I work with one of the largest banks or, or the largest bank in Asia, and they created a very interesting um, loan type, type of analysis, basically trying to figure out how to um, provide better loans uh, or identify credit worthy um, customers that they can provide them a loan to grow their loan business. And what happened is, you know, this is a multi-million dollar project. The team worked on it for eight months. And then they tested the models, they tested the predictions. Um, you know, it was with great accuracy, let's put it like that. Um, the model actually identified um, really, um, really interesting group of people that uh, never got a loan before from the bank and are very credit worthy. So it met uh, the, the objectives that we had. Uh, keeping the bank risk at the same level. But when we actually started like trying to figure out how to implement it, the, the executive told me that they dropped the project. And when I asked why, they basically told me that, you know, they discovered after like nine months of hard work that they need a year and a half of system enhancement. So and they decided to drop the project. So I always argue, like, think about the change management, think about the people, culture, and processes that you need that you expect um, that you will have to deal with at day one of the project and not later on. If those, those executives and business leaders would, uh, would thought about uh, or thought about 
you know, the change management or what they need to change in their system to actually apply and implement this technology eight months ago, probably their situation um, would be way better. Yeah, that last mile of operationalizing data science models uh, is very difficult. You know, in the good old in, in the good old days, we just presented the model to the business folks and just let them see what the patterns were that we discovered. You know, then we maybe implemented those models inside reports so people could see, and maybe maybe the sales team could go after those high value uh, loan people. But you know, putting it into a customer-facing application, I think, is what you're talking about. That requires a whole nother level of commitment and integration, <laughs> uh, and it's it's changing the face of analytics because analytics has to embed neatly into these uh, you know customer-facing apps. So that's a that's a whole huge topic. But I wanted to mention one thing that uh, I learned from uh, a leader in the data science space. I wanted to run it by you to see what you thought that when introducing data science into an organization, it's best to pair up a very experienced data scientist with an inexperienced manager. Inexperienced not in managing, but inexperienced with data, with data science and how to, how to manage and run those projects and vice versa. If you have a, a newbie data scientist who's new to the company and maybe new to the whole discipline, that you would want to pair them up with a business person who's been through the data science gauntlet before and knows how those projects can be managed uh, to deliver value. What do you think of that approach? I, th I, th I think it's interesting. I think, you know, in general, cross-pollination between someone junior or someone, you know, more advanced or familiar with the business uh, might, might work very well. Um, when I work with the technical people and the business people, I typically see that the barriers and the issues is all about, you know, how to find the data within my organization. Again, our, there you know, Fortune 10 companies are typically $240 billion revenue. They are like around 70,000 employees. The data is everywhere. The data is siloed. So when a new data scientist comes and join them, one of the biggest issues he has is how I can find, you know, the data uh, to actually start my project. So maybe you know, working with a more experienced business person um, that can actually guide them to who to talk to or where to find the data uh, might be useful. In general, you know, when we talk about building teams and team cultures, data science is an interdisciplinary um, field, uh, required interdisciplinary perspective. And when we actually think about how to build an efficient data science teams, we think about um, building in a very heterogeneous teams. So, you know, people coming from different disciplines, people coming from different um, sides of the business. Uh, I think cross-pollination can happen, will happen a lot if you have a very kind of like diverse group of people. Um, and I think this is kind of like what you try to get. Um, having like, you know, people coming from different uh, um, field or people coming from different side of the business might be very helpful to build a very um, interesting uh, data science project because the, inter the interdisciplinary perspective um, might get into the first phase of asking the great questions that can actually help them build modeling uh, capabilities to take the business to the next level. Right. Well, let's get back to your three uh, um, ways of, uh, of delivering value. You, you first mentioned the need to improve the knowledge that executives have about data science. The second uh, stumbling block you mentioned was uh, the gap between technical and non-technical teams. 
I'm wondering if you have any recommendations for how to bridge that gap. Yeah, absolutely. So um, around two years ago um, at Galvanize, Galvanize is an education company. Um, we started delivering this kind of like training called Data Translator. So we observed and saw this gap uh, literally in every Fortune 500 companies that we work with. And we decided to provide uh, training to make sure that, you know, companies can actually close this gap. And what we did is basically introducing a new persona. Later on, McKinsey wrote lots of articles about the data translator. And, you know, right now we see how it's growing. Uh, you know, if you just monitor data translator on LinkedIn, you see an exponential growth there um, when it comes to market demand. So basically the entire the, the persona is basically help is a, is a middleman or a middlewoman. On one hand, it holds the business side. On the other hand, it holds the technical side. And the entire idea is to make, introduce a new persona to the organization that will bridge the gap between these two very distinct personas that will basically take the data, manipulate the data, make it ready for production, and then move it to, to the technical guys or technical people like the data scientists to actually crunch it. And I shouldn't have said guys because there's a lot of great data scientists that are female, <laughs> um, but um, basically move the data that is already business oriented um, um, to the data scientists to actually focus on the modeling techniques. We see lar large organization doing it very, very well. Uh, again, these people are in between the business and the technical. So they typically understand the top business priorities and objectives. They don't, they know how to solicit the right data to answer those top business problems and issues. And they basically make sure that the data is, the data is ready for the data scientists to actually um, leverage those, leverage the data with the modeling technique and, and the sophisticated. Are you, are you, are you talking about a data engineer or are you talking more of a business analyst who can translate? Yeah, it's definitely not a data engineer and it's not necessarily a data analyst because data analysts most of the time just will focus on uh, the visualization stuff side, right? So they basically will take data and they visualize it and they will create dashboard. This persona, this middleman or middlewoman will actually know how to code in Python. It will not be a Python wizard, but it will definitely understand how to code in Python, how to take the data and run all the feature engineering and the manipulation necessary to make sure it's ready to ingest into the model. So it's a kind of like it's a new persona that the industry is adopting. Um, typically, when we actually run the training, we target uh, top 15% of data analysts and we basically upskill them or sometimes reskill them to become this data translator. And it's a trend that we see very strongly at, again, Fortune 500 to Fortune 2000 companies. Um, and I, I truly believe that this persona will grow in the near future uh, way more than it's now. Although, you know, we train thousands of people uh, already. I think, you know, we'll see more of that uh, in the near future. Organization really needs to figure out how to tie tighten uh, these, you know, two different edges. The business side that is mostly focused on the business objectives and the dashboard and visualization to the engineers and the data scientists that are hard hardcore focus on the modeling techniques and, and, and the technical side of things. These two personas needs to start working seamlessly together to really operationalize um, data science and AI 
so companies can realize the opportunities and the ROI from the initiative. So let me get this straight. The data translator is the person who goes out um, and helps the business define the question to ask and then finds relevant data, uh, understands which variables or fields might be most appropriate in that data for a data science project, and then sets up the, the project with the appropriate data sets already in place, and maybe some of the columns pared down? Or is that going a step too far? Would a data scientist object to somebody else touching the data before they... Uh... No, they do. They typically do this work. They do the feature engineering, um, data manipulation um, um, side of things. And then they basically... The, the, you are absolutely right. Uh, they basically make the data ready for production. That's the way to think about it. So the data scientist can just grab the data that is already clean and labeled uh, after the feature engineering, after the feature selection, and then basically run the hardcore modeling techniques. Isn't, isn't the core of modeling the selection of features, isn't that something a data scientist would want to do? Um, it is, but typically when, you know, it is, and in some organization, it, it is exactly like that. The thing is that what we see is that, you know, we want data scientists to focus on the hardcore, you know, benchmarking of models, trying to figure out how to tune the models, less on the data side. We want them to really focus on the core technology, although the data is obviously a big part of that. Uh, but if we can relieve uh, or ba basically delegate the work about cleaning the data, labeling the data, doing some sort of the feature engineering even um, to people that are capable. This, this will free a lot of time for the data scientists to focus on really picking the models, doing the benchmarking, tuning the models, and make sure that uh, the models basically provide uh, an output uh, that is maximized to the, you know, to the data and the business objectives. So uh, what happens to the data engineer uh, in this scenario? Are they no longer needed? Mm -hmm. No, they absolutely. You know, the field is even growing towards more the data engineering than the data scientists. But um, you know, data scientists will create data product, and data engineers will take this data product and make them work at scale, which is a very important uh, aspect here. So typically, um, you know, after the data scientists figure out, um, let's put it like that, the right model. Uh, Data engineers will collaborate to try to figure out how to, you know, enhance the data with creating more features, make sure that, you know, the data pipelines are fully secured and that this kind of like type of project uh, can actually work at scale. Uh, you know, our organization have petabytes of data flowing into them uh, every day. So we need to make sure that these models can actually hand the velocity and the volume of the data and still generate predictions um, that are very accurate or, you know, with the right, whatever metric we choose, um, that's satisfying the business needs and the, and the agenda for this um, project. Okay. All right. So let's tackle that third obstacle to adoption, which was the skills gap. What suggestions would you have to close that gap? Yeah. So the first one is really like do like change of mindset. I, you know, in the past three years, I saw um, by working with very large organization how they changed their and oriented their budget and mindset from hiring external talent to upskill and reskill um, talent within the organization. Um, 
I saw a lot of organization hiring data scientists, external data scientists, and then these people come to an organization that is like, you know, around, you know, 50 to 100,000 people, and they have hard time to find the data. They have, it takes them a lot of time to understand the business objectives and the goal. It takes them a lot of time to understand the technology environment and infrastructure, or even to find the right people that will actually direct them where to find the data. So organization decided, or what I've seen is that there is a big trend, big significant trend of you know, moving from hiring external talent to upskill and reskilling, sometimes even like inventing skills within the organizations. So basically organization, you know, targeting people with an interdisciplinary mindset and um, people, for example, from their data analyst uh, group that they can actually upskill to become data science analyst, to become the data translator or even to become a data scientist. And, you know, this is one of the you know, easiest, um, most, um, you know, efficient way to grow talent within your organization. There is a lot of competition out there. And in order to minimize the risk, you want people that are familiar with the data, are familiar with the business objectives and goals, knows the right people in the organization when, you know, it, it comes to even data governance and how to make sure that they relax uh, uh, their, you know, concerns when it comes to data sharing uh, so they can actually get the data and start, you know, uh, start embarking on a data science, data engineering type of project to showcase, um, you know, uh, ROI to the business. So that's one, one of the things. The second thing is really make the skills accessible for everyone. And I've seen organization kind of like adopting, I'm, I'm, I'm always saying like, you know, introducing a platform like, uh, I'm IBM Watson doesn't have to be IBM Watson, but I think everyone is familiar with that. Um, basically, a platform that democratizes machine learning to everyone. Uber did a great example. Uber is a great example of a company that did it successfully with uh, their uh, platform, Michelangelo. Basically, democratizing machine learning and put it in the hands of everyone in the organization can be really powerful. Um, you know, people do not need to know how to even write one line of code. They basically take the data, they drag it to the right side of the screen, they press on three buttons, and here, they, here we go. They have a, kind of like sort of a that can help them orient their mind when it comes to their decision-making process. So I would say to the skills gap and the accessibility of skills is hiring, not hiring, uh, upskilling and reskilling talent within rather than hiring external talent, which can be a big risk to the business, and then make the skills accessible for everyone, not just for the data scientists or the data engineer. So everyone can actually benefit from leveraging data uh, to enhance their decision-making process and make smarter decisions on a daily basis. So on that last point, uh, I think that presumes uh, the introduction of automation technology. There has been a lot of talk about data science automation. And I'm wondering if that's what you're referring to there as a way to get non-data scientists up to speed and be able to deliver data science capabilities uh, using tools that automate the process. Yeah, there are a lot of tools that automate the process. Um, I still think that, you know, these tools uh, I've seen some really cool results from some of the largest, like, you know, startup companies and companies out there. I, I think they are great. I think we still need the data scientists to figure out how to tune or perfectly tune these models, um, you know, 
to actually maximize um, the performances um, of the technology and the models. In general, I think that, you know, we are not yet at the time where we can replace the data scientists, but we are definitely at a time where we can actually augment the intelligence of our data analysts and all people that, all the business side, uh, like the marketers, for example. It's going to be great if a marketer will know or will basically take a data, data set, you know, drop it on the right side of the screen, press on three buttons and then he will figure out or she will figure out what's the message that will best resonate with the specific group of audience or, you know, will understand from churn modeling how they can prevent their customers and clients to churn. Um, so I think the business side can highly benefit from data science and machine learning automation. Um, I think that also the data scientists can benefit from that, but we are not quite there. I think there is still a lot of things needs to happen to make it really compelling to replace a data scientist uh, with with machine learning automation. It will take some it will take us some time to get there, but we will get there eventually. And again, we know that AI will change all of our responsibilities. Right, one hundred percent of job responsibilities will look different in the next five and ten years. Um, so we will have to adopt even the data scientist. Uh, will their responsibilities will look different. Right. So then I think you're saying the non-data scientist, the business user, might be it might be very easy for them to apply data science models created by data scientists by just clicking and dragging and dropping, as you said. But actually creating those models, even though there are tools to automate that, like data robot, um, you still will need a data scientist involved to maybe uh, tune the dials a little bit if it's a very important model, I suppose, right? Yeah, and again, the question is like, you know, what type of companies will use Data Robot? I think Data Robot is a great platform, right? Um, company like Google will not use Data Robot, uh, I believe. Um, they want to basically take the data and optimize it to the granular level and create the modeling capabilities um, to really uh, perfect it. Company that is an incumbent, like we have a lot of them in Fortune 500 companies that didn't start the journey yet or not at the very highest level of the intelligence maturity curve when it comes to AI and data science, should use data robot and should use it immediately to transform their business, right? So the question is like, which company um, are we talking about? Are we talking about uh, the data-driven, model-driven born companies or are we talking about incumbents that can highly benefit from using a tool like Data Robot? Great. Well, listen, Nir, that's all the time we have today. Thank you for coming on our show. Thank you so much, man. Great, great pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you want more content from business intelligence to data management to data science, browse to the Eckerson Group website at eckerson.com.